We turn to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we're actually reading Ephesians chapter 4 and not chapter 5. I don't know where I went wrong in emailing the liturgy, but I certainly went wrong and the wrong chapter was communicated. Ephesians 4 instead of Ephesians chapter 5. This week is Ascension Day. I did notice that you have an Ascension Day service on a Thursday evening. And as we anticipate ascension, I pray that we will be captivated by the ascension. Um, And we will look at why uh, that is a wonderful thing uh, to do, uh, to be captivated by the ascension. And so we read in connection with that, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 through 16. This is the word of our God. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As far as reading, so our text this morning does come from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, and we'll read that again Uh, together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 10, we read there, "But but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended... He ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. 
And so that will be our text for this morning. Beloved brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, I wonder this morning what captivates you. What captivates you? I imagine some of you uh, might have been captivated last night by a specific sports team watching the Toronto Raptors play in the semifinals and then advancing to the finals after a win. You might have been captivated for, what, two hours, two and a half hours watching that game. Sports does seem to have this odd ability to make us forget our own painful and problematic life and to find an identity somewhere else, to somehow feel like we're victorious when our team wins. So sports is, for many people, it's captivating. Maybe you weren't captivated by the Raptors. Maybe there's other things that captivate you. Maybe what captivates you is more difficult to admit. Also dark things that captivate us. Addictions. Pornography. Alcoholism. We feel like we're held in, in this, we're held captive by a drug. Maybe you're just captivated by beauty. Beauty of a, a, a wonderful summer day. Well, not quite summer, but spring day. The sun coming out, leaves growing on the trees, flowers beginning to bloom. And the changing season just captivates you. I wonder, though, if you've ever been captivated by the ascension of Jesus Christ. Christmas captivates us. Shepherds, a virgin birth, three wise men worshiping a baby in a barn. It's captivating. Easter captivates us. A tombstone rolled away, an empty tomb, grave clothes lying there. Angelic beings speaking, and then Jesus Christ himself, once dead, now alive. But the ascension, often the ascension feels like a byproduct on the calendar. It's in the middle of the week on a Thursday. Maybe tough to get out. It's not something that really captivates our attention. I want to look at with you uh, this morning three passages in our introduction. Uh, the first one we're going to look at is Genesis chapter 28. Because the Old Testament, and there are passages in the Old Testament that I think captivate us, that point us to the need to be captivated by the ascension of Jesus Christ. Genesis 28, uh, many of you are probably familiar with this. Uh, this is Jacob uh, traveling uh, away from his father Isaac and going to uh, Laban, leaving his family, going to another place. And as he's leaving, um, he's wondering, well, what does this mean for me as a child of God and where do I go? And just look at verse 12 and 13. And he dreamed... And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. 
And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid, and even still today, that image captivates me. Because to see this ladder going from earth to heaven and to see angels descending up and down and to see heaven opened before uh, the eyes in, in, in Jacob's dream, you wonder, I wonder, what does it take to, to go up and down that ladder? So that's the first passage I want to look at. Second Kings 2, verse 11 and 12. As you're turning there, some of you may even be able to guess where we're going with this one. 2 Kings 2, 11 and 12. So this is Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, the prophet of God, he's about to retire, I suppose. And Elisha is going to carry the torch of the word of God being proclaimed to the Israelites. And in 2 Kings 2, verse 11 and 12, Elijah and Elisha are together, and as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Well, that's a powerful image. A captivating image. To see your mentor being taken from before your eyes up into heaven on chariots and then he is no more. And last one, and you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it for you. Genesis 5 verse 22. It's very simple. There's no grand visual. It's very mundane and very seemingly ordinary. In Genesis 5, verse 22, we read these simple words. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Wow, what does that mean? Are you captivated by the ascension of Jesus Christ? That's the question and that's our theme for this morning. Are you captivated by the ascension of Jesus Christ? We're going to see three things from our text. Be captivated by your gracious inclusion. Be captivated by his gracious gifts. And then finally, be captivated by his gracious reign. Be captivated by your gracious inclusion. Be captivated by his gracious gifts. Be captivated by his gracious reign. So we didn't read yet the ascension of Jesus Christ. Ascension of Jesus Christ is found in Acts 1, verse 8 through 11. And in this passage, the disciples have walked with Jesus out of Jerusalem onto the mount. And Jesus says to them in Acts 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, I didn't read that with the three Old Testament passages because of one specific reason, and that reason is the disciples are captivated by the ascension, not in the same way we might be captivated by the ascensions in the Old Testament. They are captivated by this ascension because the ascension of Jesus Christ is not a picture of the possibility of attaining heaven, but it makes for them the reality of heaven real. It confirms to them that they too, they too will see God face to face. And how do we know this? Because Jesus himself told them this in John 14 verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also In that same passage, Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You will go and be where I am going. Why? We don't know the way. You know the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So in our text from this morning, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul writes there, And he's writing to the church in Ephesus. So this is after the ascension has taken place, probably some 30 years, 40 years after the ascension has taken place. And the church is gathered together as they're hearing this letter from Paul. And he's writing to the church of Jesus Christ to remind them of the promise of the ascension and the blessing of that ascension. Therefore it says, in 4 verse 8, when he ascended on high, when Jesus Christ ascended on high, He led a host of captives. So it's referring here to King Jesus. It's a quote from Psalm 68, but Paul applies that to uh, Jesus Christ. But who are the captives that are being referred to here? Now for ancient readers, they would have heard allusions in this language to the Roman triumph. Some of you may be familiar with the Roman Triumph from uh, classic movies like Ben-Hur. Roman Triumph, it was a victor parade for returning conquerors. Uh, Someone had gone out, Julius Caesar goes out, um, conquers Gaul, conquers a new territory, is successful, he returns to Rome with all of his armies, and then he longs for a triumph, which is a, a massive parade that walks through the streets of Rome and ends at the footsteps of the temple of Jupiter. And in that massive parade, uh, the conqueror has opportunity to not only show the spoils of war. Apparently Pompey tried to ride elephants through the streets of Rome and found that Rome was a little too small for a chariot pulled by elephants. But it had show, had they gave them the opportunity to show the spoils of war and they also led captives in their train. Now, as the early reader read this passage in Ephesians, they would have thought of that Roman triumph. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. And so our focus in this first point is this. Jesus Christ didn't ascend alone. 
you and I can be captivated by the ascension of Jesus Christ because it's an amazing thing to be have, for heaven to be opened and to include you in the story. This world isn't all there is. Our hope goes far beyond this life, this world. And it is in Jesus Christ that we see that so very clearly. And how did that happen? Well, Ephesians 4 verse 9 relives the fight. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? King Jesus came down to the deepest, darkest spaces of earth to do battle with sin, with Satan, and with death. He does that on the cross, Colossians 2, 14 and 15. He cancels the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, he nailed it to the cross. He disarms the powers and authorities. He makes a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So he relives the fight in verse 9. He ascended, what does it mean that he ascended, but that he also descended? Don't forget that fight, the victory that he's won. And now as he ascends in this triumphal march, leading captives in his train, rejoice that by faith in him, that includes you. Because you were soldiers at one time of the enemy. Instead of fighting for the glory of God's love, you were at enmity with God, facing the wrath of God, living in sin, advancing the kingdom of darkness and how you live and relate with one another. But in Jesus Christ, he says, no longer, that is not who you are any longer. I have come and I have taken you captive and you are mine. I remove you from the kingdom of darkness and I bring you into the kingdom of light. So that as you stare at me with unveiled faces, you are transformed from glory to glory. So who are these captives? They are the church of Jesus Christ. We're not just spectators captivated by the ascension like we might be when we're watching a sports game just from afar, hoping that somehow some good rubs off on us. No, we are participants, captives led to freedom in Jesus Christ with the doors to heaven opened by him. Why does Paul give the church this message? Because he's urging them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called. So that's the first point, the captivating ascension of Christ. Be captivated by your gracious inclusion. Once enemies, now part of the triumphal march in Jesus Christ. The second point, captivated by his gifts. Ephesians 7, 4 verse 7 says, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we talked about the host of captives, that's us, the church of Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about the gift and the gifts that he refers to in verse 7 and 8. Jesus Christ promised his disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Luke 24, verse 49 says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He tells his disciples, I promise you divine power, inner transformation that will empower you to go forth into the world. And that is through the third person of the Godhead, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, whom God, Jesus Christ, has sent down to earth. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. But if you look at verse 8, it says also there, he gave gifts to men, plural. The gift of the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus Christ, but he also gave gifts And it's through the power of the Spirit that these gifts are manifested. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. See, Paul is talking about the people in the church. He's talking about you and I. It's a remarkable contrast because in ancient Rome, in this Roman triumph, the captives at the end would often be brutally sacrificed. But Jesus Christ doesn't take these captives and sacrifices them. No, he takes them and puts them in his army. He sets them free. Paul says, I am a prisoner for the Lord. I'm a slave to Christ. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And I do not live for myself, but I live for God. And so those very captives become gifts. Let me give you an illustration from the New Testament. Paul himself is a case study in how our King Jesus works. Apostle Paul at enmity with the church, persecuting them, chasing after them, and violently pulling them out of their homes, bringing them before magistrates so that they can be executed. And then on the road, Jesus Christ appears to him and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, And from that point on, Paul becomes a gift to the church of Jesus Christ, from enemy to gift. As we're captivated by the ascension of Jesus Christ, don't just look up to Jesus Christ, but recognize that Jesus Christ is working among us by the power of his Spirit. Recognize that God doesn't just say, this, this Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm going to give it to you and just sit around and wait. No, that Holy Spirit comes and lives in our heart and takes each one of us. To each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ so that you can be a gift to the other people sitting here. You ever think of that? That God, by the power of the Spirit, empowers me to be a gift to those sitting here. And that the people that are sitting next to me in the pew or in front of me or behind me, that they, by God's grace, are empowered to be gifts to all of us. Paul, in this chapter, he focuses on a specific area of gifting, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. But it's not just limited to that. It's expansive. Romans 12, verse 6 through 8 lifts various other gifts. 
prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, generosity and giving, leadership, showing mercy. There's other places in the New Testament, you can take some time later and look them up, where there's gifting of the Holy Spirit. And so as you consider that we're captivated by the ascension, that Jesus Christ opens the door to heaven for us, also recognize that he empowers us and lives among us by the power of his Spirit to begin to make the kingdom of God a reality in our midst. Sometimes it feels like church doesn't seem like much. Sometimes it feels like we're more like captives in chains sitting here rather than being captivated. It's much easier to be captivated by work or school or sports or TV or something else. Maybe that's because far too often we have a poor theology of the ascension and the reign of Jesus Christ. What it means for us right now that he ascended into heaven and reigns on high. We foolishly dream that we'd be more captivated if Jesus was standing here than if Jesus was up there. Now certainly when he returns in power and glory, we will be captivated but it was better for Jesus Christ to leave his disciples than to stay with them. Why? Because as he went on high, he poured out his Holy Spirit so that he might live not just in one place in time, but he might fill the earth and that the body of Jesus Christ might begin to grow and expand in a powerful, divine way. So be captivated by the ascension because it includes you as God brings you in Jesus Christ, opens heaven for you, but also because he transforms us here and now by the power of his spirit to live in blessed service to him. And it all ends up pointing to our final point, captivated by his reign. Verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, and here's the purpose, that he might fill all things. What does that mean? It means that the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, God's wisdom, God's truth, God's righteousness, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, the compassionate care that he showed, the rich generosity that he lived by, the person of Jesus Christ that you come to know through the Gospels, that that person might fill the whole earth as he reigns from on high and then through his spirit works that by his word. So that he fills the entire universe. He fills your home. He fills your relationships. He fills your community. That there is not one square inch of darkness or despair that is found or that has to be covered or hidden away. But it's all exposed. And in the victory that we find in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God advances.
The captivation of the ascension leads us to being captivated by the king himself and his reign and what he's doing and how he fills our hearts. He transforms how we live and impacts our relationships. Gives wonderful, gracious contour of God's love to our family and to the family of God, the body of Jesus Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried abound by every wind of doctrine, falling for human cunning or by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather living in the truth and being able to speak that truth in the fullness of God's love. That's what we long for as the people of God, and that's what uh, I long for as as a pastor that that continues to preach the kingdom of God, to see the glory of Jesus Christ, the person that we've come to know and love in the gospel, to see that right in front of our eyes, shaping our relationships, filling the church. That's the excitement, the captivation of the gospel I'm a prisoner, I'm a slave. Uh, this is where I, this is to what end I work. I pray we want to see it. How do we know what we want to see? We continue to look to Jesus Christ, and the more we see him, the more we long to see that evident, see him evident through the power of the Spirit in our life. Recognizing that grace has been given to each one of us, taking us from enemies of God to be children of God, gifts to one another. So I don't know what held you captive this past week, but I pray that as we go into this week, the ascension might captivate you. Sometimes our captivity, when we lose sight of Christ, isn't pretty. But as God directs our attention back to Jesus Christ, the hope and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ captivates us again. Let's be captivated not by staring into an empty sky wondering if it's possible or wondering how this might happen, but let's be captivated living in the reality of Christ's reign with the Spirit of God within us. Captivated with Jesus Christ, loving him, loving each other, until he shall be all in all. Amen.